Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Now, here's a stat that shocked me when I first read it. Guns are now the leading cause of death for American children. That's according to the CDC. It used to be car crashes, but not anymore. Lately, as we know, guns are in the news. The racist mass shooting in Buffalo? That was less than three weeks ago. Since then, we've had the tragedy in Uvalde, Tulsa, and a series of mass shootings in Chicago, including one right downtown. In a few minutes, we'll hear how Illinois schools are preparing students and teachers for an active shooter and dig into how school safety plans work in the state. But first, new data from the Chicago Police Department that might make you go, huh? The number of shootings in the city is actually down from last year. Here to put all of this into context for us is WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell. Hey, Chip. Good afternoon, Sasha. Police Superintendent David Brown's been talking about the shootings over Memorial Day weekend. What's he saying? Well, one of the main things Superintendent Brown's been talking about is the courage of Chicago officers to do their job in what he calls the most difficult time to be the police. And Brown's he's not just talking about the environment for officers since George Floyd's killing in 2020. He's talking about the number of guns in the community, Sasha. So here's what Brown said about Memorial Day weekend. 250 guns taken off the streets of Chicago over three days. 75 guns in one day. We're washing guns here in, in every major city. It's past time to get some significant real gun reform in this country. So there's David Brown, Chicago's top cop, uh, talking about the need to reform the country's gun laws. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, Sasha, is not only after a very busy Memorial Day weekend for the police, but after it was after that mass shooting last week at the school in Uvalde, Texas. Brown did not get specific about what new measures he'd like to see, but he did say he'd like more gun controls. So as I mentioned off the top there, Chip, although Memorial Day weekend was especially violent, the number of shootings and homicides are down in this city compared to last year. Can you walk us through those stats? Sure. So... What we've got from the police department are uh, some fresh numbers uh, through the month of May ended with 60 murders. That's seven fewer than May of last year. Chicago has now had three months in a row with a drop in murders compared to last year. And looking at the the whole year, Sasha, murders are down nearly 8 percent in 2021. Shootings are down, too. So a big caveat, though, is that these numbers are down from a year last year that uh, had the most Chicago murders in a quarter century. Um, there's still a long way to go before the murder numbers are back to you know the horrible uh, level that they were just a few years ago. Um, but it's possible that we are on the downside of uh, this current gun violence surge that's lasted for two years now. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens this summer. Um, the, the, the next three months are traditionally traditionally have the, the 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 most gun violence, the most intense gun violence. Right. And, uh, so by about oh mid-August, early September, um, we'll be able to say really whether this uh, gun, uh, two-year-old surge is subsiding. Mm-hmm. You say we're on the downside here. D- does this mean that the mayor and, and police department's policies, uh, that they're working? Well, 
Mayor Lightfoot's administration is focusing on 55 police beats in the city. There are over 200, but she's focused on the 55 that had the most violence last year. Um, not just more police, but more social services, even stuff like cleaning up litter off the street. Um, and she calls it the whole government government approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, I, I I think Superintendent Brown is citing figures saying that it's been successful. That you know these beats have had big drops um, in in crime. So um, uh, I, I think it would be wrong not to give. Uh, the mayor some credit here for the, uh, the the drops that we're seeing in violent crime um, in the city this year. Um, you know, of course, there are other factors as well. The uh, economy is uh, better now than it was last year and better than it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been adjusting to the pandemic. Um, the pandemic has eased up, you know, a lot, lot fewer people going um, into the hospital, even though we have a lot of cases um, right now of um, of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always difficult though to, to actually, you know, put to say, well, this particular factor has caused either gun violence to increase or dis, uh, decrease. Right. Criminologists are arguing, will be arguing about this for years. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I know that there are people listening to us right now, Chip, who are saying, I, I still don't feel safe in my neighborhood. So, do you think that this data from the Chicago police is going to offer any consolation? Well, you know, we've had 200 and more, you know, when you're talking about 250 some homicides uh, in the first five months of the year. Yeah, there are some there are a lot of places in the city of Chicago where the public safety is, is really, a, a you know, a, a, a burning issue. And one thing that's a little different this year is we've had some highly publicized shooting incidents downtown. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are on edge and, and um, you know, it would, be, it would be wrong to say that, you know, oh, you know, calm down. Things are getting better because, it, it, it you know, we, we have a serious problem with gun violence in Chicago and um, things are only a little bit better than they were last year, yeah. you know, the worst year in a quarter century. Um, but, you know, of course, we're living in the third biggest city in the country in population wise. So when you break it down per capita, Chicago's way down the list. I, as of the last ranking I saw, Chicago's murder rate was 28th in the country. So this is a national problem, um, the, gun, the gun violence that we're experiencing, the surge that we're experiencing right mm-hmm. now, Sasha. Chip Mitchell is a criminal justice reporter for WBEZ. Chip, thank you so much for the update. Gun violence tends to peak in Chicago in the summer months. So what can residents do to keep our communities safe? Well, people in Albany Park have one response, a safety walk. Neighbors, city council members, and police officers who work in the neighborhood got together Wednesday night, and Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa was there. He represents the 35th Ward on Chicago's northwest side. The safety walk, it sounds like a simple idea, right? You walk around with your neighbors around Albany Park, but tell us how it went. Our community safety walk went well. Um, we had about a dozen neighbors come together, as well as 33rd Ward Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez, uh, representatives from the 17th Police District CAPS office, and representatives from the Civilian Office for Police Accountability, uh, as well as our ward superintendent. It's really a great way to uh, folks to get to know each other. Um, and then to talk about public safety concerns um, or other local matters uh, that are that is impacting their neighborhood, whether that be bent signs, whether that be uh, lights that are out, mm-hmm. uh, potholes, um, 
and then also to get information from the police on recent incidents that have occurred. Um, and if they have any information and feel so inclined, uh, it's also an opportunity for them to speak directly uh, with police officers about situations happening in the neighborhood. Um, it is our fifth event that we've had thus far this spring. Uh, most of the other events that we've had have been in Hermosa with the 25th Police District and their neighborhood policing initiative. We've been talking about safety quite a bit uh, for obvious reasons here on this program uh, Alderman, and it comes up a lot about getting to know your neighbors, right? Can you speak to that, the role that getting to know your neighbors has in, in public safety? Absolutely. You know, the safest community is a community where people know each other, where people are looking out for each other, where people are taking care of each other. Um, if you know your neighbor, um, you know, you're that much more likely to intervene or to notice something suspicious going on in their household. Um, it's also just really important that um, we're all communicating, that we're all working together. Um, you know, there yeah. used to be a time when the city had um, precinct captains um, and city workers would go out and knock doors and get to know their neighbors. That's been done away with. Um, and local government really needs local residents to be our eyes and ears. Uh, we don't have, you know, three, four precinct captains in every single precinct uh, in the 35th Ward. We need local residents to pick up the phone, to call and say, hey, I'm noticing this is going on in my neighborhood. I'm noticing that perhaps, you know, this person is in trouble or may need some help. Um, without those points of contact, um, local government's going to be a lot less effective. Yeah. Um, and that goes for every city department, um, not just the police um, the Department of Buildings, Department of Streets and Sanitation. So um, I, I think that creating these opportunities for people to come together and to talk to each other, mm-hmm. um, really, I particularly, um, you know, as as we have just gone through two years of, of social isolation, uh, is, is really critical to, to building the bonds uh, that make our community stronger and safer. As you mentioned, you were joined out there by some uh, of the police officers who patrol Albany Park. What were they saying? about crime in the area? You know, I think what they were saying was that it's important that folks reach out to the 17th Police District. Um, If you notice graffiti that you think might be gang-related, take a picture of it and email it to the local CAPS office. Um, Provide them with information, even if it doesn't lead to anything at that moment in time. That may be uh, the missing piece of the puzzle that they need to solve a crime at a later point in time. Um, so that that was one of the main things that the police officers reiterated at the community safety walk was to email them, to call them, um, and to provide them with, with information of incidents of crime that, that are occurring in the neighborhood. A lot of progressives are calling for the police to be defunded or even abolished and, and for their budget to go toward mental health funding or education or food or housing. What is your view on this? Yeah, I think that people are very critical, rightfully so, of a racist policing system in the United States that has very negatively impacted many, many people's lives. Um, We've seen young people killed by the police. We've seen in Chicago individuals tortured by the police, locked up wrongfully for decades because of crooked uh, cops. We need to change the system fundamentally. And... um, You know, that change is going to take a very long time in Chicago. We fought for many years uh, to pass a civilian oversight ordinance 
that is now in the process of being implemented. Um, so these reforms are going to take time. I think that we need to continue to struggle and organize um, to make sure that our communities have the safety that we need. And I think that the main thrust of the defund movement was that policing is not the end-all and be-all of safety in our communities. Um, yeah. There's decades of research that shows that when you invest in schools, when you invest in health care, when you invest in homeless services, mental health services, that those are the things that actually have more of an impact uh, in improving community safety. Uh, and unfortunately, as we have defunded schools, as we have defunded mental health care, as we have defunded social services in the city of Chicago, and we continue to fund the police at an ever-increasing rate, mm -hmm. we have then asked them to become everything for local government. And it's not working. Um, and I think that everyone is frustrated, uh, the police officers and the community uh, that are seeing this system not working for them. Any plans to do this again or other events like that? Absolutely. Um, we're planning to do another community safety walk in Irving Park in response to um, some recent incidents in the Irving Park portion of the 35th Ward. Um, we're going to keep doing this throughout the entire summer, um, but we need to be out in the streets. Um, we need to be meeting each other. We need to be activating spaces. There's a wealth of research that shows um, that these types of gatherings, these types of events can have a really profound positive impact uh, towards making a community safer. Carlos Ramirez Rosa is the alderman of Chicago's 35th Ward. Thank you so much, alderman. Thanks for having me on. Switching gears now, we're going to talk about precautions for protecting the state's 2 million children. Turns out it varies significantly, district to district. Joining us now to dig into Illinois' safety rules is freelance journalist Lisa Phillips. So what do Illinois state laws require when it comes to safety plans in schools? Yeah, so Illinois requires something called an emergency and crisis response plan. It requires every public-private uh, and private school to have these. These have to include basics like emergency chains of command, uh, describing what who is responsible for what in the event of an emergency. Has to include things like emergency contact lists, ways to account for students, you know, where they are, how they're doing in an emergency. And then um, probably most importantly, they have to include what a school would do in response to various emergencies like severe weather and fire, but also an active shooter. And this is something that's left really up to schools and school boards and varies from school building to school building. I talked to um, a regional superintendent or a representative from the State Re Regional Superintendents Association, and he talked about how there is this need for local control because districts vary so much in terms of what their school buildings are like and what kind of resources they have. You know, one school district might have access to local emergency vehicles that are equipped with computers that have school uh, floor plans loaded up on those computers where mm -hmm. you might have uh, another district that's very rural and the entire local fire department is voluntary. So he said state officials don't really have the um, know-how to determine what specifically is in each school building's plan. And that's one of the reasons that this is left up to local control. And so we're clear, Lisa, what's the law enforcement involvement here in Illinois? Or is there? So there is there isn't required um, the, the participation of uh, law enforcement officials in the drafting of the, this plan is not required, which is notable. Um, you know, Illinois is one of 43 states that 
require school safety plans of every school. Uh, but a majority of those states, 29 states, require that law enforcement officials be involved in the drafting of these plans. But Illinois is not one of them. Um, Illinois does require school boards to review these plans once a year. And local emergency officials like law enforcement and first responders have to be invited to these reviews, mm-hmm. but their participation is not required. Interesting. So you mentioned a moment ago that schools here uh, have to practice um active shooter drills. What are the requirements? Yes, yes. So um, schools, both again, both public and private, have to have an active shooter drill every year near the start of the school year, so within 90 days of the start of the school year. Um, And law enforcement officials should be observing it. This kind of mimics what response you have outlined in your safety plan, and it's meant to give students and staff an idea of what steps would be taken in the event of an active shooter drill and also to identify any problems with your plan. Does it need to be updated with best practices? Do you need a different way of notifying students that there is an active shooter in the building? And um, there are rules about how these drills are conducted. Students, staff, and parents have to be notified in advance of the Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be school-based mental health professionals present, and they have to be. These drills have to be age-appropriate. Um, and it's notable that this law specifically says the drills cannot include simulations of actual school shooting incidents. There was um, uh, an event, actually, a drill uh, a couple of years ago in northern Indiana, where teachers. Uh, were shot with plastic pellets, and this generated wow. widespread criticism, understandably, and it had a lot of people thinking about what the psychological toll of these active shooter drills are on children. So yeah. um, I think there's a lot more awareness of what what cost do these mm-hmm. um, these drills come at. Yeah, I was talking to my, my kids last night. They are teens, one's in high school, one's uh, at uh, the last year of middle school. Um, They've done, of course, the fire drills, the tornado drills, and what they call lockdown drills this school year. So in their case, the teacher turns off all the lights and um, the students hide. Really, that's that's pretty much the drill. Um, But as a parent, I got an email that morning sort of letting me know that it was happening, that it was going to last for 30 minutes, and that if I tried to come to the school at that time, the doors would be locked. And so there would be no no one entering, no one exiting. And I understand that this is necessary, but this is just so frightening, Lisa. Yes, yes, I agree. I have um, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a five-year-old myself, and both of them, I mean, it, it blows my mind because they're so young, but they've both gone through lockdown drills. And, you know, it, it's hard to imagine what they get from these drills being so young, but I also mm-hmm. understand that parents and, and teachers and school personnel want, um, you know, some reassurance that, there is a plan in place, even though this is a very mm-hmm. unlikely event to have happen. You know, many of the sources I talked to wanted to get the message out there that schools are very safe. The The chances of this happening at someone's school is it's still very low, even though these events have been horrific and tragic and, you know, have yeah. obviously gotten a lot of attention. Um, you know, I think parents are looking for reassurance that... There is a plan in place should something like this happen. So in the state of Illinois, uh, it's required that they create procedures for identifying and stopping 
threatening behavior. Um, schools are supposed to create this threat assessment team, as you write in your, your story. What, what are they expected to do? Yeah, so that is a great question. And, you know, the law requires that school districts have a threat assessment procedure in place, and they, and this involves creating a team that has to include things like a school administrator, a teacher, and then also mental health uh, personnel like a school counselor, a school psychologist, and, and also uh, at least one local law enforcement official. Um, beyond that, the legislation really does not have a lot of detail as to what an actual procedure would look like for these teams or for local school personnel to identify threatening behavior. Um, I talked to the head of the state school counselor association, and he his organization actually held a professional development for um, school counselors around this topic. And I think a lot of school districts, uh, according to him, a lot of school districts are kind of looking for guidance on how they actually put this policy into place. Um, I think everyone agrees or there is a lot of agreement around mm. the fact that we need this kind of um, procedure in place. You know, a, a lot of people are not paying attention to prevention in terms of violent incidents in school. And there's a lot of discussion of how do we locate students that are struggling or isolated or facing challenges mm -hmm. and intervene with supports before a situation escalates into something like a school shooting. Right. Um, and, and while there are procedures in place, and because of an update, these procedures have to be submitted to um, regional education offices, I don't think there's a lot of guidance in terms of what staff schools actually have to take. I think there's a lot to be done in terms of training staff and figuring out what steps are taken. Beyond those drills and procedures, Lisa, there's a lot that schools are not required to do, right? Like having surveillance cameras or, or metal detectors or even door locks. Yeah, that's correct. There, There isn't state legislation around having measures and, and safety equipment like surveillance cameras and metal detectors or even locking doors during the day. Um, I think that some of this is because of, or at least according to some sources I talked to, some of this is an issue of equity. Some districts have the resources to have cameras and metal detectors and, and even pay for things like school resource officers, and some don't. Uh, but there's also the issue of the fact that school resource officers are a very controversial issue because many people point to school resource officers as something that's criminalized student behavior and especially for students of color. In your story, you also write about the uh, political debate that's happening right now around guns in schools, right? Uh, according to an Associated Press survey of governors, Democrats favor gun ownership restrictions and Republicans want tighter school security. So how does that political context affect the requirements that we have here? Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting to note that, um, you know, responses following school shootings is kind of become a political exercise almost. Um, and I think there is a lot of debate, even on the on the local, let's say, at the school level amongst staff and students and, and you know, people saying that you can put all of these measures in place, but what happens in schools is a reflection of what's happening in society. And, um, you know, if we don't have tighter gun control, for example, um, that schools themselves are not going to be able to stop uh, gun violence from coming into uh, schools because, you know, there's only so much uh, 
a school can do in terms of putting in surveillance cameras and metal mm-hmm. detectors. And there are also people who feel that putting in measures like that turn a school environment into something that's not comfortable for students and something that feels, you know, more like a prison than a school. Yeah. I've um, heard my daughters so use that term too. Yeah. They've got metal yeah. detectors, the doors are locked and it just, it's just this little skinny window that you can kind of peek through if you're the parent standing outside. It's just, it yes. feels very yeah. prison. Like even the windows looking at the school from outside, but I'd rather that than the alternative. Yeah, yeah, I I completely understand. I think it's uh it's a hairy debate for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, you have to kind of balance the educational needs of students with keeping them safe. Exactly. Um, That's freelance writer Lisa Phillip. You can find her story on our website, wbez.org. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Sasha. That's it for today's Reset. Keep checking in with us for the latest updates on this story and more by listening live at 11 every weekday on 91.5 FM or on the WBEZ app. You can also catch us afternoons right here on your podcast feed. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for spending your time with us. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow to get you caught up on all the major headlines this week during our weekly news recap. See you then. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.